Good morning, faithful listener. You are listening to the Bible Explained podcast, where the Bible gets explained. So grab your cup of coffee and stay tuned as we read through the book of Deuteronomy. Hello and good morning, friends and faithful listeners, and happy Monday. Thank you for tuning in to the Bible Explained podcast. And today I actually have a special guest on the podcast. This is the uh, young man I was talking about last week. If you guys tuned into last Monday's episode, I mentioned that I was going to be having a guest on the podcast pretty soon. And this is Casey Freeman. He is returning on the podcast, actually. He did an episode with me back when we were like in the book of Exodus. And I think we were talking about the building of the temple back then. And uh, he brought some great insights into that. I remember specifically his episode because he brought to me a new insight that I just like ran with for the rest of Exodus, where he was like, the temple that uh, we're talking about here in Exodus is like our own bodies. Like, you know, the Holy Spirit lives with us now. So we need to be treating our bodies with respect due to the fact that the Holy Spirit is living here in our bodies. And I was like, yep. I'm going to run with that the entire rest of Exodus. So that's what I did. (laughs) So yeah, Casey is visiting. He used to be our youth leader at um, my church. And he unfortunately left to take a different position at a different church as a a youth leader. But yeah, Casey, talk about yourself a little bit and, uh, you know, your new position. And I don't know, say a fun fact about yourself. Well, thanks for having me on, Jen. I'm Mm -hmm. super excited to be here, super excited to spend uh, the evening with you and the rest of the gang. Uh, So I am now the youth pastor at Centerville Grace Church down in Centerville, Ohio, which is uh, southeast Dayton. It's it's super cool. I actually had no idea that um, the last time I was on, that the, me talking about the temple of God and how we are to take care of our own bodies uh, stayed with that. I'm actually, I'm flattered. I'm flattered that uh, my words were inspiring. <laughs> <laughs> so fun fact about myself is that one time I went on uh, Jen's podcast and apparently something inspiring I said uh, she stuck with. So <laughs> that's all I've got. <laughs> Well, I'm glad to have you back on the podcast, Casey. I think this is going to be a great episode. And today we're actually going to be talking about Deuteronomy chapter 13, literally the entire chapter. And so um, there's some really interesting concepts in this chapter that I think to some people might be like, wow, that's super harsh. But we're going to get into some of those ideas and maybe God's heart behind some of this. So let's read all of Deuteronomy chapter 13. But to start out, I'm actually going to read only verses one through five. And then after that, I'll, I'll break it up into different sections and we'll read it together. But yeah, let's go ahead and read Deuteronomy 13, one through five. If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and he gives you a sign or a wonder and the sign or the wonder comes to pass of which he spoke to you saying, let's go after other gods, which you have not known and let's serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or to that dreamer of dreams. For Yahweh your God is testing you to know whether you love Yahweh your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul. You shall walk after Yahweh your God, fear him, keep his commandments and obey his voice. You shall serve him and cling to him. That prophet or that dreamer of 
of dreams shall be put to death because he has spoken rebellion against Yahweh your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you out of the house of bondage to draw you aside out of the way which Yahweh your God commanded you to walk in. So you shall remove the evil from among you. All right, Casey. So this particular portion of scripture is talking about a prophet or a dreamer of dreams. And what's interesting to me about this is that we see a lot of prophets nowadays, like popping up everywhere. And I just want to ask you, like, what do you think about some of these prophets that are often like giving these these prophecies or these dreams that they had or something like that? What do you think about all that? You know, I'm not I'm not 100 percent sure. I think I'm skeptical. Yeah, that's usually my response is I, I'm skeptical. I actually had a um, a discussion last week with a, a friend of mine. We were talking about uh, the different gifts of the spirit mm-hmm. and how sometimes they can seem to be abused by different people and their interpretations can be abused. And I think of like the gift of tongues, right? That's yeah. always a hot topic within Christianity, within theological thought is like, what actually is the gift of tongues? What, what, what does this mean? And um, I'm not actually going to dive into that. But like I, I think about uh, that, that gift and I think about the gifts of prophecy and how men can abuse it, uh, just man can abuse these giftings from the spirit and use them in a way to, to seek gang and to um, seek profit. So that they will pretend to be a prophet to get profit, if you think about it. And and I want to add to that because there's a there's a verse in the New Testament that talks about like, Lord, Lord, didn't we, you know, cast out demons in your name? Didn't we, you know, do this or that in your name? And it's kind of interesting to think that the like the the spiritual gifts that God gives us can sometimes be abused. And there are people that do, in fact, abuse those gifts. So just because somebody is out there you know, doing a prophecy or whatever, perhaps, yes, God did give them the gift of prophecy. But here's what it actually says in Deuteronomy 13 verses one and two. It says, if that prophet gives you a sign or a wonder and the sign or the wonder comes to pass. So in other words, yeah, this guy accurately spoke a prophecy and like it it came true or whatever. But then he goes, this prophet's like, no, 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 we're going to serve other gods. That doesn't mean that just because that guy had the gift of prophecy, that doesn't mean that God necessarily is like telling you to follow after this prophet. Does that make sense? Yeah, this um, this actually makes me think a lot of the uh, sorceress or, or the witch in um, 1 Samuel, I want to say. Yeah, it's 1 Samuel when uh, Saul has, has the witch like conjure um uh, Samuel the prophet. I, I got to be careful here with my words. It's it's this idea of well, did this woman actually have her own power and could she do this? Well, no. It it, it would be clear that like well, God gave her the ability to do this so that um, his glory could come. And in the same light with these, right? Because it, it clearly says here in verse three um, how God is testing us. Yahweh is, is testing us to see that if we still love him or not, because he's, he's trying to test our, our faith in him. And I, th- I think of even in, in the book of James, when it talks about being thankful for the hard times because they build endurance and, and perseverance. This connects a lot in my brain to that with this idea that like God does want to see us see or see that we love him and now that we're just doing something to do something right, right. like look, look at the the um 
the sacrificial lamb in the book of Exodus. Uh, God asks the Israelites to sacrifice the lamb. Does sacrificing the lamb in itself actually get them forgiven sins? It doesn't. What it is is it's their merciful heart of them going to God and and asking for their forgiveness and doing the action that he asks them to do to ask for forgiveness that gets them that. Now, I, I want to ask you one thing because uh, you mentioned that the witch of 1 Samuel and, and what Casey is referring to, because we haven't talked about 1 Samuel yet, but that's okay. But um, the witch that he's referring to is that when King Saul, the first king of Israel, became king, uh, the prophet Samuel had died. And he was not just a prophet, he was also a priest. Saul needed some guidance, and he went to a witch to try to conjure up Samuel's spirit, basically, and the witch was able to do it. And what Casey's referring to is that God had allowed Samuel to basically be conjured up. But what I want to ask you, Casey, and this, I have not, <laughs> I feel kind of bad because I did not prepare Casey really for anything. That's <laughs> kind of just like, we're going to talk about Deuteronomy 13. But I want to ask you, Casey, can Satan produce these kinds of prophecies that accurately come true? Or is do you believe that this is always a God thing? Because I am under the belief that even though Satan does have limited power, I do think that, yes, a lot of these things can be Satan-inspired, I suppose, because we do see it in the end times with the Antichrist that he is able to perform some miracles and then also um, just different portions of scripture where there was some crazy things going on with with satanic experiences or whatever. See, that's a tough one because I, I think of... Uh, this is this is to quote John Elderidge. He talks about this idea of manhood and how we as Americans we we um we like to picture like we're in a performance, right? And and we're here to do our best performance possible. And he argues, no, we're not born into America's Got Talent. We're born into Saving Private Ryan. And, and so I think about when Paul talks about like how the enemy is prowling, prowling around like a roaring lion, mm -hmm. seeking whoever he can devour. He's trying to devour the weak ones, the ones that um, don't have the, the strength of the spirit to resist the temptation of sin and fall to sin. And so when I when I think about your because your question is basically like, well, if God gave this witch or um, gave these prophets or these dreamers of dreams the ability to um conjure up these things um, and those things come true, can Satan also inspire others to do that? I don't necessarily know. I, I, I want to say no because I don't think Satan has that much power. I think the only power Satan really has is the ability to whisper into our ears and like, like trick us into um, sinning, right? Um, I, I think of, you know, Adam and Eve and how he, he like lies to Eve to get her to sin. Could I maybe see Satan tricking somebody to abuse their own giftings, right? Like my gifting, a gifting that the Lord has given me is I'm really good at asking questions. Mm -hmm. I could easily see me getting tricked into asking somebody a billion questions that overwhelms them and makes them feel off, makes them like, I don't want to come back to this. I don't want to come back to the church because there's that weird guy there with blonde hair that just seems to keep pressing into me and keep asking me questions. And then as a result, I can feel prideful. I can feel pumped up because, well, God's giving me this gift. I should be able to use this gift however I want. So in that sense, like, can Satan conjure up the dead? 
No. Can Satan, um, uh, plenty of these other spiritual things, can he do those? I don't think so. I don't think he has the power to do that. Does he have the power to um, lie to and trick others and get others to abuse their own giftings? Absolutely. I mean, I can see that. And uh, I think that is a discussion kind of for another day that is a a little bit more of a uh, deep theological question, I think, but just kind of fun to delve into with whether or not Satan has that much power. Um, Like I said, I gave my opinion. And for now, we'll just agree to disagree. (laughs) Sounds good to me. (laughs) Because, yes, I I do think that Satan has limited power. We give him more power than I think he actually has. But I do think he can do some things. Let's talk more about Deuteronomy 13 with this prophet or dreamer of dreams. And let's say that the sign of the wonder that he proclaims beforehand comes true. Because that's what it says could potentially happen here in verse 2. But with that, he tries to lead the people astray from Yahweh God. He says, let's follow after other gods, which you have not known, and let's serve them. It says, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet, even though that prophecy, whatever amazing thing it was, came true. And it could have been so miraculous or so interesting or whatever. But we still don't listen to that prophet. Because he is trying to lead people astray from God. And so God says, I am testing you to know whether you love Yahweh your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul. You shall walk after Yahweh your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice, not some crazy prophet that may or may not be able to predict the future. And so it actually says that that prophet or dreamer of dreams shall be put to death. So this is kind of the thing where... um, we look at the Old Testament, I think a lot of people do anyway, and, and say like, oh, this is so mean, you know, God God telling people to, to put others to death if they try to convince somebody to follow after other gods. And this goes even more intense into verses 6 through 11, which I'm actually going to read right now. And here's what it says. It says, if your brother, the son of your mother, or your son, or your daughter, or the wife of your bosom, or your friend who had who is as your own soul entices you secretly saying, let's go and serve other gods, which you have not known you nor your fathers of the gods of the peoples who are around you near to you or far off from you from the end of the earth, even to the other end of the earth, you shall not consent to him nor listen to him. Neither shall your eye pity him. Neither shall you spare. Neither shall you conceal him, but you shall surely kill him. Your hand shall be first on him to put him to death and afterwards the hands of all the people. You shall stone him to death with stones because he has sought to draw you away from Yahweh your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. All Israel shall hear and fear and shall not do any more wickedness like this among you. And so like this is, you know, kind of kind of interesting where God's even says like the wife of your bosom, which I guess means like the wife of your youth, I suppose. Like somebody who you truly love, even your son or your daughter, if they start enticing the Israelites to turn away from God, it actually says you're not supposed to pity him or spare him or conceal him, but you shall surely kill him. And I mean, Casey, what do you think about this? It's interesting because it it takes me back to a lot of different things that Jesus says in the gospel. It takes me to... Um, one, the, the family section takes me to when Christ talks about like, I have not brought peace, but a sword. It'll be like, 
uh, father against son, daughter-in-law against mother-in-law, like things of that nature. Like, and, and it's funny because Christ does bring peace, but the peace that he brings us is so great. And the love that we will have for him is so great that we um, are going to be divided in our families. When we have scenarios like this, where a family member is trying to lead us away from Christ. Mm-hmm. Right? And so then this leads me to my next thought that Christ talks about, which is this idea of gouging out your eye. Right? He says, like, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. And a lot of this is what this makes me think because um, God wants our whole heart. Mm-hmm. He doesn't want like a little tidbit of it. He doesn't He doesn't want us to love him just enough. Like he doesn't want us to put him, no, he wants us to love all of him mm-hmm. and he wants all of us. And so I kind of think of like Hosea 6, 6 that Christ uh, quotes in like Matthew 9. He, he talks about, I don't desire sacrifice, but mercy, yes. right? Yeah, I want your heart. Like, it's one thing for you to sacrifice the lamb to me. It's another thing when you sacrifice the lamb to me with a repentant heart. Mm-hmm. It makes me think of something one of my professors talked about in college. This, say, the, the, the classic tale of the high schooler that graduates and they go off to the secular university. The professor, super, super secular atheist in their thought, ends up pulling them away from faith. Mm-hmm. That person didn't defend their faith. They didn't defend their love for God. Let me, let me use this crazy scenario here. This is pretty extreme, but like this is, I think there's a lot of extreme imagery that God uses here as well. Like you love Garrett, right? Mm-hmm. What would your response be to me if I walked up to you one day and I said, Jen, I'm going to explain to you why you don't love Garrett. You're going to punch me in the face, right? You love Garrett. Nobody's ever going to change your mind that you love Garrett. In the same light, we should have the same like tenacity and love for God. I love God. Nobody's ever going to change my mind about loving God and nobody's ever going to get the opportunity to try to change my mind. I'm going to chase after him with the tenacity of a gazelle, right? Mm -hmm. I will always love God and he will always have my heart and I'm not allow, I'm not going to allow my, my mother or my son, my daughter or the wife of my bosom or my friend or these people that I am, that I deeply love. I'm not going to let my love for them overshadow the love I have for God. And so this feels extreme, right? This feels super extreme that like God is basically telling us, like he is saying here to the Israelites, like if you have family members who are trying to pull you away from me, you need to gouge them out. You need to gouge that eye out and keep them away. Mm-hmm. They're ultimately destroying what is the the greatest joy and the greatest love in your life. Mm-hmm. And so I think of that in the same, like in the same way, like I would, I don't have a wife, but in the same way that I would love a wife, and I wouldn't allow anybody to tell me that I shouldn't love her. I'm also not going to let anybody tell me that I shouldn't love God. Right. So it's it's this this idea here is like God is saying to you, I want you to love me so much that you won't let anybody come in between my love for you and your love for me. Well, the one question that I have here, and I, I really want to discuss this, is in verse six, it talks about the wife of your bosom, which I think if you read other versions of the Bible, it actually says the wife that you you really love. So when Casey was talking here, my thought processes were going towards divorce, where it says so much in the Bible that that God does not like divorce. It actually says he hates divorce. Why would God be okay with, I suppose, putting your own wife to death if they try to entice the husband to follow after other gods? Why is that okay when God hates divorce so much? And so me and Casey, I actually stopped the podcast for a minute here 
because <laughs> I was like, I need to discuss this. I need to think about this question. And me and Casey actually thought about it and we took some time to discuss that. I think there's a pretty good answer for that, actually. So Casey is going to give his thoughts on it and then maybe I'll, I'll chime in afterward and give some thoughts on that also. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do my best here to give my thoughts on it. This is a, you know, this is a, a tricky line because when I think of divorce, I go straight to when Christ is, is talking about it and how um, he, the Israelites are only permitted of it because of their hardened hearts. Mm-hmm. Um, and Christ says, let no man separate what God has brought together. Mm-hmm. And th- except for on the grounds of sexual immorality. And so as me and you kind of talked about and hinted at, like God describes Judah and Israel, I mean, in the books of like Ezekiel, Isaiah, Jeremiah, he describes for the most part them as an adulterous woman who is like lusting after other nations' gods instead of loving their true God. And so in this light, when it comes to comes to the wife, it's, is it sexual immorality that like she is trying to entice the man away? <sighs> I think that's a great point because there is so much imagery in the Old Testament about um, those who go after other gods are basically adulteresses and adulterers. And so, yes, if this wife is secretly enticing the husband to go and serve other gods in a way, she is, in fact, an adulteress. It actually says in the Old Testament, in the this law, that adulterers and adulteresses were supposed to be put to death. And so this is not that far off course from that, because this is a spiritual kind of adultery that this this woman is trying to do. But on the other hand, this should never happen, because if the Israelites were following the law that God gave them, they wouldn't be uh, marrying foreign women that followed after other gods. They would be marrying within their own tribes. They would be marrying women who were raised to love and follow Yahweh God. So yeah, in the end, this shouldn't have been happening at all in under any circumstances. And plus, if the man is the leader of the household, why is he being enticed by his wife in the first place? <laughs> so, I mean, Casey, give some more um, insight into that if, you're, if you have anything else to say on that. This is, you know, this is a very uh, tricky topic to dive into, I think, to begin with. But I think... What God says here in in, um, in verse three that that I'm testing you, I'm testing to see if you love me, mm-hmm. and I'm going to use the closest people to you to see if you love me. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's hard with this with this scenario because you're dealing with is it a is it on grounds of of sexual immorality or is it on grounds of adultery because she's trying to. Um, pull you away from your true love into this falsified love that she has and should you then gouge out that relationship for your ultimate relationship with the Lord but it's it's like it's a really hard line there's that verse though that says that uh, if the partner is willing to stay in the marriage even though they are unequally yoked you are supposed to keep them in that marriage, but that doesn't mean you allow them to entice you to follow after other gods. The entire situation there is that you are supposed to be an example to your spouse in that situation if you are unequally yoked and try to get them to start following after Yahweh God. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I don't know. I, I, it is an interesting subject. What I kind of run into when I try to think of is I'm not under this covenant. Right. right. This is this is Mosaic Covenant. 
And so these words aren't written to me. They're written to the Israelites. And so thinking about who the Israelite people were and, and how they behaved and what God expected of them, does it, it doesn't necessarily seem too extreme to me that he expects this, this from them because when they, so like right after, I think this is the final message that like Moses really impresses upon the Israelite people before they and eventually go into out of the wilderness and into the land of Canaan. When I think about that and I think about like how they behaved once they went into Canaan, right? God told them to uh, eliminate all of the Canaanites so that you, so that they wouldn't be tricked away from him in the same light with this eliminate and purge all things from me that will trick me away from you. And they never do that. Right. They never hold fast to him. We right. never hold fast to him. We always get tricked away by some idolatry, whether that be sports nowadays or, or other things like that. Uh, it's just, it's, it's, it's an interesting thought to run into and it, it's a hard balance. I think more than it, more than anything. Cause you are right. Like we, sh- um, if you're in a marriage where you're unequally yoked, obviously you you're able to put the boundaries up. Like um, they're, they're, the common way of living nowadays is cutting out toxic people. Yeah. I'm just cutting out all the toxic people. I'm getting rid of all of them. I would say that's not like a, a good way to live as a Christian because um, you are able to put boundaries up in your life mm-hmm. to keep those people from tricking you away from God. Mm-hmm. But you aren't um, you aren't allowed to just eliminate them because then you're eliminating an opportunity for them to be exposed to the gospel like you were exposed to. Yeah. Because at one point you were just like them. And before I move on, I just want to mention one last thing is that this is specifically talking about if this person, whoever it is, whether it's the mother, brother, daughter, wife, friend, if they are enticing you, which means that you kind of want to go do this thing they are enticing you to sin that is when you go and you cut that person out of your life according to this so just don't allow that to happen (laughs) and you put boundaries up in place you you make sure that that this does not happen And, and honestly at that point hopefully you just don't have to do this at all (laughs) i think i i I would i would agree um of just Cutting out the opportunities for temptation, yes. always, always running to it or running away from it. So I'll, I'll share a way in which I've complicated my own Christian life. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't listen to any music that um, portrays women in an erotic or sexual way. Mm-hmm. And that's challenging because there are a lot of artists I used to listen to that I really like. I used to listen to a lot of Post Malone and, and different guys like that. A lot of a lot of more modern uh, hip hop and uh, rapper artists that I can no longer listen to because most of the time they're referring to women in either a negative context context or in a um, sexual context. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to place my things um, that are higher above me, that place my thoughts on heavenly rather than earthly. Yeah. And so, um, in the same light with this, it's like, it's trying to cut out those temptations that keep you away from, from the quote unquote, like holy living that keep you away from loving God, how you want to love him and living your life for him. Yeah. I think really so far what this boils down to is exactly what Casey just said there at the end is just that we need to be keeping our thoughts 
focused on God. And that is not just for the Israelites back in these day, those days, but for us nowadays, we need to be like Casey just said, he cut out certain types of music because he felt that that was wrong to listen to and he didn't want uh, his, his mind to go there. And so, yeah, same thing for us nowadays where Christ always was talking about like remove whatever is tempting you in your life. And this is kind of the same concept back in Deuteronomy 13. But to finish up here, I'm going to go ahead and read 12 through 18. <laughs> I'm sorry, Casey. <laughs> I just wanted to touch it. Uh, Did you know it was hot? I knew it was going to be hot. I didn't think it was going to be like, oh, this is actually like basically like an egg hot. But like, <laughs> I'm sorry. Casey just put his, uh, I have this like little like hot plate thing for my coffee mug and he just put his hand directly on it. But okay, I'm going to go ahead and read verses 12 through 18 to finish this up. It says, if you hear about one of your cities, which Yahweh your God gives you to dwell there, that certain wicked fellows have gone out from among you and have drawn away the inhabitants of their city, saying, let's go and serve other gods, which you have not known. Then you shall inquire, investigate and ask diligently. Behold, if it is true and the thing certain that such abomination was done among you, you shall surely strike the inhabitants of that city with the edge of the sword, destroying it utterly with all that is therein and its livestock with the edge of the sword. You shall gather all of its plunder into the middle of its street and shall burn with fire the city with all of its plunder to Yahweh your God. It shall be a heap forever. It shall not be built again. Nothing of the devoted things shall cling to your hand that Yahweh may turn from the fierceness of his anger and show you mercy and have compassion on you and multiply you as he has sworn to your fathers. When you listen to Yahweh your God's voice to keep all of his commandments, which I command you today to do that, which is right in Yahweh, your God's eyes. So, I mean, wow, this, this gets kind of intense here at the end where it's, it's not just talking about individual people anymore. It's like burning down cities if they don't follow after Yahweh God. And to this, I really just want to say that <laughs> cities often turn into like the worst places on the planet. I mean, let's be honest. I, I feel really bad for New York because I know people who have lived in the northern part of New York that are just like, we can't stand New York City because they put these stupid policies in place that us northern folk have to like listen to and, and do these like terrible, awful policies that are super anti-biblical. And so, yeah, I mean, because there's a huge congregation of people that like come together, a lot of times, I don't know how to say this, but people have a tendency to like want to find other people that have the same like convictions as them. Then they start getting worse and worse and worse at that point. Does that make any sense? Casey, I want you to uh, to elaborate a little bit more on this idea of city burning and what this really means in Scripture. Well, it, it's funny. Um, you kind of talk about the... Because when, when, I, when I heard you talking and, and talking about the, the cities, how they... Um, almost like breed rebellion. Uh, it's funny. I'm in this, I'm in this thought right now because I'm in, I'm in effect, infectious diseases thought right now because I'm, I'm reading a book right now. It's the second time I've read it. It's a, it's a fiction. It's by Mark, uh, Mark Brooks. It's called uh, world war Z. And so it's just a fun like zombie book. Right. And so they, they in the book and it's the classic in any like zombie story, right? The, um, the disease seems to spread the quickest when it's in cities because people are so densely populated together. In the same light with sin, uh, 
um, or just rebellious thoughts against God, right? Mm-hmm. They seem to spread quickly in densely populated areas. Like you, you always hear the, um, what's the, the classic trope of the, all the, the country boys, you want them because they're good God fearing boys, <laughs> right? Um, uh, I grew up a country boy, so I know it to be true. Um, <laughs> so like, and that's not me like hating on city people by any means. Um, the point being, and what I think God is really trying to say here, and, and he's saying to the Israelite people, right? Like you, you're encamped, you're in the city, you're in the land of Canaan. It's now the Israelite land. One of your cities, like one of your tribe villages or cities or whatever has, has fallen to idolatry and is following another God who did not bring them into this land. Go and eliminate that infection so that it doesn't spread because the sin itself is in all our natures. It's infected into us. It's in our, basically our DNA at this point. It's part of our nature. And so it infects us and spreads around all of us. It is like a disease. And so in the same light here, God is trying to say so that you can remain holy, cut it out. Like cut this entire city out. Now, I know these are like extreme scenarios because there's three scenarios we see listed out here. We see the scenario of of a false prophet. We see the scenario of a family member trying to pull you away. And then we see a scenario of somebody or of an entire city that's fallen to rebellious thought. All of these just kind of take me back to Christ's idea that if something is causing you to sin, cut it out, Mm -hmm. eliminate it. Don't allow it to get to you and pull you away from me. That's the same thing that he's trying to, that's what he's saying here to the Israelite people. Don't allow yourselves the opportunity to fall away from me. Yeah. And all of this, I think once again, going back to my original point is if the Israelites would have just listened to God's laws in the first place, they wouldn't have done any of this. And unfortunately, we never see this playing out really in scripture when people do fall away from God. We never really see that any of this being played out. And that's when Israel got so rebellious and so bad and they started like burning their own children for that God Moloch and uh, just different terrible things that were going on. The, The priestesses and priests that were in the temple, like, you know, they were basically prostitutes. We just see a lot of problems arise later on where Israel got so corrupt and started not just leading themselves down the wrong path, but leading others down the wrong path also. And that's when Babylon came in and basically destroyed Israel completely for the most part, scattering everybody. And just a select few people were left back in that city. It got so bad that that was kind of what ended up happening. And all of this in the end was God trying to keep that from happening that like everyone had to be destroyed by Babylon in a way this is God like protecting his people but because we don't live under the Old Testament law anymore and we don't have the same like cultural stuff where culture was totally different back in these days we don't go and burn cities down (laughs) I'm just gonna point that out right now we don't go burn cities down because we live under the New Testament law what we have to do now is we have to focus in on our own churches. And because the entire congregation of Israel was supposed to be, in a way, God's children, that's what we do nowadays. We focus in on God's children. We focus in on our churches, making sure that corruption stays out of our churches. And we are supposed to cut off 
people that try to come in like false prophets, false teachers, anything like that, try to we, we need to remove them from our churches. And I've said this so often that it really does translate to nowadays in a way where we watch and pay very, very close attention to what is going on in our churches. And that is how it relates to us nowadays. And Casey has something else he'd like to say about that. There are um, they're kind of like two final thoughts I have and, and one you mentioned, because I love that you, you're trying to like, all right, this is written to the Israelites, but how do I how do I bring this to the modern church? Forgive me, I don't know the exact verse, the exact chapter. I'm just pretty sure it's in Matthew where we're supposed to go and confront those that have like sinned against us, to confront the the brother that is living in sin and how we're supposed to to go about that and how we're supposed to give the, we're supposed to give them graceful opportunities, multiple opportunities. Like first you address them yourselves and you bring somebody else and you bring a whole crew of people and then and then you basically address address them in front of the entire church and say, hey, here's your last chance. If you want it, take it. Otherwise you're gone. It's I kind of see this, I see that play out actually a little bit in here in um in verse 14 then you shall inquire investigate and ask diligently like not just quickly like cut everything off but actually investigate and and ask about it and can i add to something real quick that was true for all of scripture i just want to mention is that god was very clear that there needed to be like some sort of like court thing that goes on where you don't just like go and like take your wife out in the street and like stone her without any kind of like I just want to say that also is that uh, there was a very a clear inquiry court system put in place also that I've talked about multiple times but I won't go too much into that but I'm sorry Casey keep going you're good I, I appreciate the thought that have actually helped me kind of complete my my thought with that but there, there's there's that aspect um, of basically like diligently seeking out if this is true um, in in addressing our modern church with their own sinful behavior. But there's another aspect that we kind of, I think we want to forget about and overlook when we read verses like this, especially in, in the Old Testament, right? Um, because we're you're about to run into the sections when um, God commands the Israelites to wipe the Canaanites from existence, like blot them out completely. And we always look at that and we're like, well, God isn't a just or loving God because he's commanding them to kill these people right here, right here. What we're reading in Deuteronomy, he says, anybody that rebels against me and that tries to pull you away from me or already is living in rebellion, block them out, destroy them, eliminate them. We look at that and, and we're like, man, God isn't loving. Of course he's loving. But we also have to recognize that we're, we're deserving of our punishment because alongside his lovingness, he's also a just God. When we, when we look at this and we see these prophets and how they're supposed to be um, they're supposed to be punished for their behavior. Well, of course we're supposed to be punished for our behavior. Jesus has made it to where we don't have to be punished anymore, that we don't have that he received all the wrath of God and he receives it all. But at the same time, these folks are rebelling against God. They're choosing to live without him. And so, they need to be punished for their behavior, right? I know it sounds, well, that seems kind of like a father-child relationship. Well, yeah, it is a father-child relationship because he's the heavenly father, yes. right? So when, when I look at that and, and, and we read this, it's like, are, is it really wrathful of him or is it justice of him because they're breaking the rule, mm-hmm. right? In our modern culture, if I go steal a car, I'm getting thrown in jail. Right? In their culture, if they rebel against God, they're 
getting lashes or something. I don't actually remember exactly what they get punished with. But the point being, right, cause and effect, right? Wages of sin is death. The wages of their rebellion against God is death. In a way, the Israelites, they are the chosen children of God, and they're living out the hand of God by partly being his hand of wrath against people that have been rebelling against him because we all are his creation. Well, guys, thank you so much for tuning into this episode. It was a longer one, but I am just excited that Casey was in town and was able to do this with me. And uh, and hopefully you guys were able to enjoy this episode and learn some things about God and his justness and just different things about uh, the Old Testament. I learned a few things myself. So share this episode with somebody that you think needs it or share it on your social media platforms. And don't forget to check out the bio because all my links are in there. Everything that P40 Ministries does, including the YouTube channel. Friends and faithful listeners, I will see you bright and early tomorrow morning for an episode out of John. Until then, happy listening and God bless.